following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and go to Ephesians chapter 5. We will start there and then we will find ourselves back in the book of 2 Samuel in just a moment. Gathering together to worship God's name. What are we here for? Why do we do church? Why do we make it a point to gather together frequently to fellowship and worship and study God's word with other believers? There are many, many benefits to that. Uh, The sermon series that we're in right now, we were talking about listening to the Lord. Open our ears, Lord, and how to hear God better. Uh, Last week I mentioned that there are three specific ways that God speaks to us. Number one is, is His Word. That's the importance of groups like Gideon's International that, that bring God's Word uh, throughout the United States and throughout the world. They know how important it is to get God's Word in the hands of people who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They know that that is the number one means for God to speak to us. If you're not in God's Word, you will never hear His voice and you will never hear Him speak to you as clearly as you do when you're studying God's Word. Second, we learn that God speaks to us through our circumstances. We talked about a prophet by the name of Elijah. He was running from Jezebel and King Ahab. Uh, and God spoke to him through several different means. And even in his time in his cave when he was running for his life, God spoke to him. Today I want to talk about the third means that God speaks to us, and that is through people. Through other people. That is why we are here today. That is why I always stress the importance of being involved in a small group or a Sunday school class. It is all about accountability. The Apostle Paul here in his letter to the book of Ephesians talks specifically about what it means to gather together and then to put yourself maybe under the authority of someone who preaches and teaches God's word. Or maybe to put yourself connected with someone who will hold you accountable to living the godly Christian life that you should. This is one thing I want you to keep in mind as we study this passage this morning. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You're not meant to go through this life on your own. And you're especially not meant to go through the Christian life on your own. Human beings are naturally hardwired to have connection, communion, and fellowship with each other. And there are many benefits to that as well. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word in Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we're going to talk about who does God use to speak to you. Is there a particular person in your life? That God uses to remind you, hey, you've made a commitment to follow the Lord. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say to the church at Ephesus. Beginning in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the most important part, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that as we move through this passage and we study the life of David and how he found himself accountable to a person in a time that he needed it the most, I pray that we'll learn some valuable lessons, valuable lessons, Lord God, about how you speak through other people into our lives. And we just pray, Lord God, that you'll guide us through this time, guide us through this message. And I pray, Lord God, if there is anyone here that does not know you, as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord God, that is what we want to do is we want to connect them with the Savior that loves them and died for them so that their lives will be changed for all eternity. And we just ask it in the most precious holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? How do we submit to one another? Paul goes on through that particular book in that passage talking about how husband and wives are to be related to one another. But the principle itself brings us to the point of accountability. Who do you have in your life that keeps you lined out, that keeps you straightened out? Who is it that's always there reminding you, hey, you should not be doing that or you should not have done that? We all need that. I need that in my life. I need accountability partners. I have other people, other pastors in our association that call and check on me from time to time. My wife is there with me continuously. She knows when something's going wrong. She holds me accountable in many different ways. But I also have God's word to hold me accountable. But every now and then, God will send somebody in my life that says, hey, something's not right. Something's going on. Sometimes I'll lose my edge on what I need to be doing. I shared with you several weeks ago that one of my passions is uh, taking uh, meat and smoking it, putting it on the grill or whatever. Sometimes I use store-bought meat. Sometimes I use wild game. I I love to deer hunt. And anytime I I bring home a deer, I I will skin it myself and I'll debone it myself and put it in the freezer. So a set like this is very, very handy for me to have. We leave this sitting on our kitchen counter. Many of you have this in your kitchen as well. There are different knives for different situations. Uh, there's some to cut bread with. There's some that have serrated edges on them uh, that are very, very sharp. But probably the most important tool in this whole set is something that doesn't have an edge on it at all. It's called a honing rod or a sharpening steel, whatever you want to refer to it as. And any knife except for the knife with the serrated edge on it, you can take and bring it back to its original condition and sharpen it and hone it with this rod. After a period of time, if I've used a certain knife for an extended period of time, maybe somebody forgot to use a cutting board and uh, it hit the counter a couple of times, maybe it's cut through some bone and it's lost its edge. From time to time, this blade itself will have nicks and dings in it that will cause it to be dull and not useful. So the principle of this sharpening rod this honing rod is to take this knife and work out all of those kinks and nicks in the blade if i'm putting the proper edge on it i don't want it to be too flat but if i put the proper edge on it i can restore that blade back to its original order 
I can work out all the kinks and burrs in it. Anything that has made it dull, it will bring it back to a sharp and useful edge. Now, what's the principle behind that? You need someone in your life that will help you keep your skills honed, that will keep your edge sharp. And when you become dull, they might rub you the wrong way, but they might also rub you in a way that will bring you back to your edge and help you to become sharp and focused on the Lord like you should be. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this. It says, just as iron sharpens iron, so a friend can sharpen another friend. Do you have someone in your life that can rub you in a way that will bring you back to a useful condition? Maybe you've lost your edge. Maybe you're not where you should be. Maybe you've been through the battles before. Maybe you've been used in a way to where you have become dull and less sensitive to the things of the Lord. Do you have someone in your life, just as iron sharpens iron, that will help sharpen you back to where you need to be? We're going to talk about two particular people today in 2 Samuel chapter 12. One is a very familiar name. His name is King David. We know him as the man who slew Goliath, the young boy. He was the second king of Israel. And all throughout Scripture, David is known as a man after God's own heart. Twice in Scripture, he's referred to as that. 1 Samuel 13, 14. Samuel actually told Saul, Saul, you're not going to be king any longer. God is going to put someone in place who is a man after his own heart. And then later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 13 was giving a history of Israel in his testimony. And he referred to David. He said, David was a man after God's own heart who will do all of God's will. But even in David's life, he lost his edge. He stumbled, he fell, he sinned against the Lord. And in one fell swoop, he committed adultery, he committed murder, he lied. And God had to send someone into his life to sharpen him and hone him and help him to get his edge back. And that man was a man by the name of Nathan. Nathan was a distinguished prophet who served during the times of David and Solomon. We'll look at Solomon next week as Solomon dedicated the first temple of the Lord. And so here's the questions that I want to ask you today. Who do you have in your life, maybe that God has sent to you? Could be a spouse, could be a coworker, could be a good friend, could be a Sunday school teacher, but you need someone in your life that will hold you accountable, that will shoot straight with you, that from time to time will get up in your grill and, hey, say, you should not have done that. You need to repent and you need to get back on track with where the Lord wants you to be. So here's the first thing that I want you to see, is that by using other people to impact our lives, God speaks to us personally. God speaks to us personally. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 in 2 Samuel. This was after David had committed his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He had sent her husband Uriah to the front lines of battle, basically committing murder. He lied to cover it up. And everything that David was doing was not pleasing to the Lord. Now, the Lord actually sent 
Nathan to speak to David specifically twice. The first time he came to David, he said, you're going to be the man that God makes a covenant with. The throne shall not leave your family, and he's going to use you to build a place for God to reside. But after that is when David fell into sin, and he lost those blessings. He fell away from the Lord, and Nathan had to come back to him the second time to point out this sin in his life. Verse 1 says that then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, he begins to tell this parable. But God sent Nathan specifically to David to confront him about his sinful ways and the situation that he was in. Now, when the preacher comes to see you, (laughs) it's usually not good. Either you're very, very sick or you haven't been to church in a while and he knows something's going wrong. And that's exactly what happened here. God knew something was wrong with David. And he told Nathan, David's not right. You need to approach him. You need to go to the king of Israel, the man with more authority and more power than anyone else. And you need to approach him about his situation. So from time to time, God is going to send someone to you. Say, hey, where have you been? What's going on? Here's the question that I want you to answer today. What has God said to you lately? Is God speaking to you right now? Is there something going on in your life that is keeping you from hearing the voice of the Lord? Because that's exactly what happened to David. This is not the first time. This is the second time. The first time it was good news. The second time it was bad news. So God sends people into our lives and uses them to speak to us personally. Sometimes it's it's to encourage us. The Lord sent someone into Apostle Paul's life by the name of Barnabas. The name Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. Because he knew that the mission that he was about to send Paul on, he would need someone in his life to continuously encourage him. This was not the only person in King David's life either. David had Jonathan for a long time. David had his men of God, his mighty men of God that would hold him accountable. But this time God needed someone very, very specific to get up in David's grill and say, David, you did something wrong. You need to repent of it and God is trying to get to you. The next thing I want you to see is that by using other people to impact our lives, God speaks to us clearly. Listen to this story that Nathan uh, presents to David, he brings it out in the form of a parable, just like Jesus used to use uh, during his teaching. He says, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, And lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Why in the world would Nathan present this story to David? Instead of just shooting straight with him and telling him that God knows all about your sin. 
There's several reasons for that. It seems like Nathan is beating around the bush at first, but this story hits the mark. It accomplishes exactly what it was sent out to do. It, it, it provokes several different emotions from King David. David thought that Nathan was talking about another situation. Maybe David thought Nathan was bringing this situation to the king's um, presence, to the king's knowledge, for the king to do something about it. At first, this story seems like Nathan is beating around the bush, but it really, really hits the mark. Sometimes in our lives, there are true friends and accountability partners. They know how to communicate with us in a way that gets our goat, <laughs> that really gets at our emotions, that peaks us and hits us more than anything else will. And that's what Nathan's doing. Nathan is presenting this to David, saying, David, here's what I want you to see. And I want to see how upset you get over this situation. Notice carefully that the reaction that it brings from David. Notice the response of David in verse 5 and 6. Look at what happened to David when he heard this story. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Without pointing out to David his personal sin, David told a story and presented it in a way that brought to light in David's mind, hey, this situation is not right and something needs to be done about it. This man that took the poor man's lamb, this man that could have taken out of his own flock to feed this wayfaring stranger, did something wrong. He stole from the poor man and what he did was wicked, it was evil. Not only should this man die, but he should also restore to the poor man fourfold what he took from him. In other words, David is saying, I don't know who this man is, but what he did was wrong and something needs to be done about it. And then Nathan turns the story on him. Not only does God speak to us personally through other people, not only does he speak clearly, but he also speaks directly to us. Verse number 7, look at what Nathan says to David. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now most of the times when we hear that word and they hear that phrase, if somebody has made a great play, somebody has done something fantastic, somebody has done something phenomenal, hey, you the man, you did it, you did good. Congratulations, high five, but not this time. David says, something must be done. Who is this man? Where is he at? I need to find him so I can punish him. David is essentially pointing one finger at another man, but he's got all these other fingers pointing back at him. Nathan takes a step back and he says, David, you're that man. You're the man that needs to be corrected. You're the man that God is upset with. You think you've hidden your situation. You think you've hidden everything that you've done. You think you've gotten away with your sin. But you're the man that this story is referring to. 
Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that God can use to speak to you directly and get the results that he needs that will draw you closer to the Lord? Because that's what Nathan is doing. Nathan is not doing this to condemn David. Nathan is not doing this to make David feel bad or have a pity party. But Nathan is doing this because he knows that David is far away from the Lord right now. And he's trying to pull him back into his relationship with the Lord. Because he knows that inside David is a man after God's own heart. And here's what an accountability partner will do to you. He'll say, hey, look, you've been through the battle before. You've been through some tough times. You're not quite as sharp as you should be. You've lost your edge. So we need to do something that will directly impact your ability to get your edge back. You're separated from the Lord. So this is going to hurt just a little bit. It's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort. But we need to work out all of those kinks. We need to work out all of those little rough spots. We need to work out all the areas in your life that you've grown dull in your relationship with the Lord. And we need to get you restored back to the condition you were before all of this took place. And that's exactly what Nathan is doing here. He's rubbing David the wrong way by giving him this story. David is angry. David is upset. And David wants justice for this situation. And now Nathan is putting it back on him and said, David, you're the man. Let's get to work on what needs to be done. And let's get you back to your original condition. Let's help you get your edge back. That's what an accountability partner does in your life as well. You're the man, David. You're the one that the Lord is talking about. You're the one that's committed this sin. And you're the one that needs to be corrected. And he goes on to tell him what all the Lord is going to do. He lays out all of the blessings that the Lord has given him. Look at verse 8. He says, Not only have I delivered you from the hand of Saul, but I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little... I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord? David had broken two direct commandments. Thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery. You've despised the commandments. You've done evil in the sight of the Lord. You have killed your eye to Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. First of all, when Nathan came to talk to him, he said, the throne is not going to depart from your house. Now he's saying the sword will not depart from your house. I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall um, lie with your wives in the sight of this son, For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Do you ever consider 
all that God has blessed you with? Do you ever consider how many chances God has given us to accept Him as our personal Lord and Savior? Do you ever consider how much He lavishes us with love and with tender mercies and with blessings? We, we are a blessed people. One nation under God. We live in the richest country in the world. We have freedoms that many other countries do not have. We have the freedom to come here and worship as we choose. We are a blessed people. And just like David, God throws these blessings at us. He lavishes with his love and his salvation and his mercy and his grace. And then what do we do? We toss them all aside and we usually end up doing what we want to do, which is exactly what David did. God gave everything to David on a silver platter. David, you've got the kingdom. You've got the castle. You have all the wives. You have all of Israel and Judah at your hand. And yet you've thrown it all away to fulfill the desires of your flesh. That's exactly what the Lord is saying through Nathan here. What about our salvation? Here's what Hebrews chapter 2 has to say about that. It says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels Prove steadfast in every transgression and disobedience. Received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You're here today. You're hearing a gospel message. You're hearing about a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. But you're also hearing about a God that wants to correct you. Is God correcting you right now? Let me just say this. He's not angry at you. He's correcting you because he loves you. Is God angry at David here? No. David is a man after God's own heart. And God wants to use David. But he's saying, David, what you did comes with a heavy price. And so it is for us as well. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? David is, uh, Nathan is saying to David, David, how could you? God gave it all to you and you threw it away. With all that God has given to you, how could you? And with all that God has given to you, how can you turn your back on him? And say, I'm not going to accept your gift of salvation. I'm not going to live my life for you. God, you've blessed me, but that's as far as I want to go with it. Nathan even goes as far to say, why have you despised his commandments? And why have you chosen to do evil in the sight of the Lord? You see, folks, we, we may think that we've gotten away with it. We may have done something in our past and say, look, it's all over and done with. Nobody else knows about it. But Scripture makes it clear that we will always reap what we sow. Now, that can be used in a positive context or a negative context. If you sow good seeds, you're going to get good fruit. But if you sow bad seeds, you're going to get nothing but bad fruit. You sow evil in your life. 
There will be a judgment day at some time. You will sow what you reap. But if you continue living your life for the Lord, sowing those good seeds, there's a blessing coming for you as well. It may be later than when we sow it, but there will be a payday someday. Here's the bad news. The bad news tells us that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that there are none righteous, no, not one. Even a man after God's own heart fell away from the Lord, broke his commandments. And along with those broken sins and broken commandments, that disobedient to the Lord, there came a price. The bad news is that we've all sinned. We have a sin nature within us. But the bad news gets worse. Along with that sin comes a penalty. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Did you notice what David said about this story? This man, he must die because of what he's done. He's committed a sin and he must die for it. The wages of sin is death. And Nathan turns it back on David. He said, David, because of your sin, the sword will not depart from your family. There's a penalty, a price that you're going to have to pay. Now, when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, it's talking about a spiritual separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. You've got the bad news. You've got the worst news. It's time for some good news now. Verse 12. By using other people to impact our lives, God also speaks to us openly. Verse 12. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the Son. Even for the man after God's own heart, there is a price for his sin. Nathan makes it clear that there will be a price to pay. But what is Nathan doing here? Nathan is sharpening David. He's honing him. He's trying to help him get his edge back. And last but not least, Here's the good news. By using other people to impact our lives, God speaks to us forgivingly. The man after God's own heart responds accordingly to what the Lord had to say through Nathan. Look at verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Confession is good for the soul. And that's the point that God wants to get you at today. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have openly repented of your sin? Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have not lived for you. I know that the things in my past are not right. God, would you please forgive me? And look at what Nathan says to David. The Lord also has put away your sin. (laughs) You shall not die. Did anybody hear what I just said? (laughs) That should get an amen. Because the principle applies to us as well. God will put away your sin. If you will openly repent and confess to him, And ask him to forgive you. The Bible clearly says that he'll take your sins 
And he'll put them as far as the east is from the west. He'll blot out your transgressions where he will remember them no more. Folks, that's the good news. As we serve a God that wants to be open and honest about our sin, and he talks to us forgivingly, and he corrects us in order to bring us closer to him. He don't have to do that. He's not obligated in any way to wash away our sins. But you're his creation. You are created in his image. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In the passage we read in our Sunday school lesson this morning, that word believe was mentioned at least seven or eight different times. It was a repetition of the word that God was emphasizing. You must believe. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way for you to have forgiveness of your sins. Let me tell you this. If you had any other way to gain eternal life, you had any other way to be forgiven of your sins, then Jesus Christ would not have had to die on that cross 2,000 years ago. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us. It wasn't just enough for him to tell us about it, but he wanted to prove to us, he wanted to show us by sending his one and only son in this world and openly and publicly die on the cross for us to have forgiveness of our sins. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child who was also born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed from his house. Romans uh, Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 says be sure that your sin will find you out. You might hide it from mom. You might hide it from dad. You might hide it from your accountability partner, whoever that person is, but you'll never hide it from the Lord. The best thing for you to do is to openly confess it and repent from it. And that's what God is waiting for you to do. Now, how easy would it have been for David to say, look, Nathan, you don't know who you're talking to. I have the power to do away with you. And I don't have to do what you say. But David was a man after God's own heart and he knew deep in his heart that what he did was wrong. And he knew deep in his heart that the only thing left for him to do was to not cover it up anymore. But to confess it before the Lord. To repent and to confess and to cry out to God forgiveness. David knows that God is full of mercy and compassion. How do I know this? Because a lot of the Psalms that David wrote were about this particular situation. Psalms chapter 25, verses 6 through 7. David writes this Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. God doesn't want you to live. In condemnation. God doesn't want you to live in your sin. 
Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God's not beating you up. You're beating yourself up. God's not holding your sin against you. You are. God wants you to experience freedom and forgiveness. The best news of all is if you'll confess your sin to the Lord, he'll make a new person out of you. David begins his step towards forgiveness by telling his accountability partner, Nathan, Nathan, it's me. I I know who it is. I've sinned. I know what I've done. And I I know what I need to do to correct it. Remember what we read back in Ephesians chapter 5? It says to submit yourself to one another in the fear of the Lord. David right now is living in the fear of the Lord. And he's submitting himself to Nathan. Nathan, help me to get back where I need to be. This is what the Bible has to say in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. David has some open wounds right now because of his sin. And God wants to heal him. And Nathan is helping him through that healing process. Perhaps you have some open wounds in your life right now. The Bible says that it's by his stripes we are healed. David would later write an entire prayer of repentance recorded in Psalm chapter 51. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 51. Most people believe that this happened after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He writes this, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your Love and kindness. Is that something you've cried out to God before? Is that something you need to cry out to God today? God, have mercy upon me because I've sinned against you. According to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Have your transgressions been blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. God speaks to us forgivingly. And everything that he does is for our benefit. This morning in our, in our New Living Translation, our chronological Bible that we've been going through in a year, Isaiah forty four twenty two had this to say. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me for I have paid the price to set you free. Folks, Jesus has paid the price for your sin with his shed blood. And David found forgiveness by confessing his sins to the Lord. Here's the best news of all. Salvation can come to you today by crying out to the Lord. By grace, he offers you this salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, It is by grace you're saved. Through faith, and it's not that of yourself, it is a gift of God. God wants to give it to you. 
God wants to bless you with his salvation. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That word believe right there doesn't mean just a one-time event. It implies trust. It means a continual belief daily that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He has forgiven me of my sins. He has made me a new person. And now I want to live my life for him by trusting in him for everything. Perhaps God is using someone to speak to you. Maybe this message today has spoken to you in a way that you've never experienced before. Maybe there's never been a time in your life when you bow down on your knees and you've admitted your sin. God, I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong. And just like David, fessing up. Maybe there's never been a time where you have believed that Jesus Christ died in the place of your sins to give you new life. And maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've confessed your sins and repented of them. Start today. Is God speaking to you right now? What is your response going to be? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Have you been playing games with God? Have you taken for granted all the blessings in your life that he's given to you? Has he been knocking at your heart's door for a long time now? And you've kept that door closed. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel presented this way. Maybe this is the tenth time. I I don't know. I, I don't know your history or your background. I don't know where the Lord has led you. I don't know why he's led you here today. But I do know this. Just as we discussed earlier, God's word will not return void. What you've heard today demands a response because there will be a payday someday. You will sow what you reap. But today, if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, why not start today? You have nothing to lose, but you have everything to gain. And you may be thinking that, well, if I come to church enough, that'll make me a good person. Wrong. If I do enough good deeds, that'll get me in heaven. Wrong. One of these days when you stand before God Almighty, the one thing he's going to ask you is, what did you do with my son Jesus? Salvation comes only through his shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness of sins. So in just a moment, when the music starts, if today's the day that you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't hesitate. Don't even think twice about it. I mean, as soon as that first note comes out of the piano, you make your way down here. And you say, Brother Tracy, I need to be saved. What does that mean to be saved? That means you are saved from the penalty of your sins. You no longer have to worry about where you'll spend eternity at. But when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves you from your sins and gives you a new life. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, 
and all things become new. Or perhaps you're here today and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt you're a child of God and you just kind of edge. And there's something that you need to confess before the Lord. These altars are open for you. You come down here and you get it right. There's no better time to start than today. Say, God, I know I messed up. And from this moment on, I commit my life to following you more closely than I ever have before. God, bring me to a point where I can find an accountability partner. Someone that will walk through this with me and help me along the way. Also, if you know for sure that you're saved, you're a child of God, begin praying right now for God to touch someone's heart close to you in this building today. Heavenly Father, we pray for this invitation, Lord. I I give it to you. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who is just like David, that they're in a position right now where they know they've done something wrong and their life is not lining up to where you want it to be. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts right now and show them what they need to do to find that forgiveness that comes only through your shed blood. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.